Good morning. Good morning. It is so good to see everybody here. I hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. You know, on Thanksgiving Day, the Cowboys and the Vikings both won, which was not the case on Sunday. Because the Cowboys won, if you didn't know. But Patrick did a great job of introducing this new sermon series last week on generations and how all generations should work together for a better tomorrow. Yet, there's one person that I just don't think understood the sermon at all last week, and that was Steve. On Tuesday, we went and got lunch, and no matter what happened, anything that went wrong, he blamed everything on my generation. When I had a hard time finding a parking spot, he said that's because of my generation. Uh, when we were waiting in line for our food, it was my fault and my generation. He blamed everything on my generation. He must have just not understood or paid attention to anything Patrick said last week. But I decided, I took this personally, and I decided that I would end this argument once and for all. Did you know that me, Patrick, and Steve, when the weather's good outside, we play horse? We like to play horse, and if you don't know what horse is, it's a basketball shooting game where uh, I'll take a shot, and if I make it, somebody comes behind me. So, you know, the best shooter wins. And so I've been keeping a score sheet of every single time we've played over the last six months, and I have a picture of it. It looks kind of blurry, but if you can't see it, Steve's won none. Uh, Patrick has won like three, and I've won every other time. So you tell me who the best generation is, all right? You tell me who the best generation is. But, you know, I'm just joking, you know, not about the score sheet, but I am joking about the generations and how they should get together, how we should all work together for the sake of mankind. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, the really cool thing about this Generations sermon series is that you actually do get to hear from three different generations. You know, last week we got to hear from Patrick. This week you get to hear from me. And next week you're going to get to hear from Steve. So it's really cool that we have a sermon series on generations and how we can all work together. And you get to hear from three different generations. So today you are going to be hearing about generations from a 22-year-old. And if you think that I'm too young to be preaching, you're probably part of the problem, all right? <laughs> so a question I want to start off this morning with is, when you are buying something new, do you look at reviews? Do you look at reviews for that product? You know, I do this every single time. I am a shoe guy. I don't buy a lot of shoes, but I research a lot of shoes. It's actually something that I really enjoy to do. But when I am looking at buying a new pair of shoes, I read all the reviews, the super negative ones, the super good ones. I want to know how these things are going to fit on my feet, how comfortable they are. I even go to YouTube, and I listen to people talk about the shoe, and then I watch videos of them on people's feet. So I know exactly what I'm getting when I buy them. You know, this might be something else for you. You might look at a review for, I don't know what everybody looks at reviews for, but most likely you look at reviews. Do you do this too? Yes. 
Do you look at reviews? You know, for instance, recently I've gotten really, really into reading. I love to read, okay? And so I was looking for a new book, and I'm really into mystery novels, okay? So I was looking for a new mystery novel for me to read, and I came across this book. <laughs> and it says, where is baby's belly button, okay? And so since I'm so into mystery novels, I really wanted to know if this book was going to be worth my time. So I looked up all the reviews, I read all the reviews that I possibly could to figure out if this book was really worth my time. And I found this review that I'm going to read to you this morning. <laughs> this book is completely misleading. The entire plot revolves around finding baby's belly button. The title makes this so much clear from the beginning. However, there is no mystery, there is no twist. Baby's belly button is right where it's supposed to be, on baby's stomach. Right where it clearly shows you it is on the cover of the book. This plot is a complete mess as a result of its reliance on the mystery of where the baby's belly button is. Everything falls apart the second you realize that the baby belly, that the belly button was in plain sight all along. There is no conflict. There is no character development, and there is scarcely any plot. Whoever wrote this book must have made a serious error in judgment because you would have to be an infant to not immediately understand where baby's belly button is. This is one of the worst pieces of literature I have ever read. So after this re review, because of my research, I decided not to buy this but the point is, why do we care so much about reviews? Why do we care so much about what other people say about a product? How does that make us understand if this product, product is going to be good or bad for us? And it's really simple. It's because we care about the experiences that other people have with the product. We're never going to just go buy something just because we're like, oh, okay. It's most likely because somebody else has had it. Somebody else has used it. We seek experience about things because that's how we truly know what they are. Okay? We can learn from other people's experiences on a product. Right? That's why we use reviews. Why are we so good at seeking other people's experiences when it's about something as little as a pair of pants or a pair of shoes? Why is that when we go to seek other people's experiences? Why are we so good at seeking other people's experiences when it's a movie or a book? Little do we know, and this is especially me talking to the younger generation here, we have an open book about life right here in this congregation, okay? We have so many other millions upon millions of generations and reviews that were written about the very struggles, pain, and problems that we face every single day. We have millions upon millions of reviews of good practices and procedures people have done in order to achieve their true peace and their true happiness in life. 
We have generations and generations of people who have already gone through this crazy thing that we call life. And we need to learn and look at these other generations, these past generations, so that we can all work together for the better tomorrow. Amen? You know, the really cool thing is, as I was researching this, you know, the Bible is full of this. Authors in the New Testament and the Old Testament, no matter where it is, do a great job of plugging in past generations in order to make examples throughout the whole Bible. You know, one of the coolest places this is found is in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, the author uses so many examples from past generations in order to get their point across. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, there is a verse that we know probably pretty well. A couple of weeks ago, Patrick actually had it in his sermon. And it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Right? Faith is, even though we can't see something, we believe it even though we do not see it. But there's a verse that follows right after this. That is really, really cool with this sermon series that we're doing today that often we overlook, we don't even look at. And it's right here in Hebrews 11, verse 2. All that together says this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. You see, we're talking about this idea of looking at past generations in order for us all to look forward to a better tomorrow. And right here, as the author of Hebrews is making this definition of faith, what does he use in order to solidify that definition? He says, here's some examples. The reason why you know who Abraham is, the reason you know who Moses is, the reason you know who Noah is, is all because of their faith. This is what they were commended for. They use examples from past generations in order to get his argument across about faith. And the really cool thing about Hebrews chapter 11, and if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 pretty much the whole time. But the really cool thing about Hebrews chapter 11, and one of the reasons why I absolutely love it, is because it's known as this thing called the heroes of the faith, right? It gives all these examples of these awesome heroes of the faith, okay? Hebrews chapter 11 turns to past generations as examples for how we should live a life of faith. And so we're going to look at some of these. There's a bunch of examples that the author of Hebrews uses, but we're going to focus on three this morning. And the first one is Noah. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it reads, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he can condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Through this example of Noah, we learn that through Noah's faith, he saved his family and became an heir of the righteousness that would come. You see, the author of Hebrews uses this past generation, Noah, one of the first people ever on the earth, way back in the Old Testament, 
uses these past generations as, as an example of the faith that we should have. And number two is Abraham. In Hebrews 11, 11 through 12, it says this. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. You see, Abraham and Sarah had this great faith that even though they were very, very old, they had this faith. And because of that faith, they were born a son. And their descendants soon became as numerous as the stars, as numerous as grains of sand. And through that line, we get Jesus who came and died on the cross for all of our sins. Through that faith. Hebrews, again, uses an example of a past generation for us to live, to be faithful. And yet again, he even describes this faith when he was going to offer his son. God told him that he needed to offer his son as a sacrifice. This one son that was born from this line, he said, you need to offer him as a sacrifice. And he was going to do it even though God stopped him. Because of this faith that he had, that Abraham had, we were able to get Jesus. He uses these past generations. And number three is Moses. In Hebrews 11, 24 through 25 and 26, it says this, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And in verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Through faith, Moses left his life of royalty, of being a prince, and he decided that he would listen to God and free his people from Egypt. We learn from this faith. We learn from the past generations. That we can leave our lives. That we need to live a life of faith. That is what we learn from all three of these people. You know, there's a really cool thing. Because we often look at these old Bible stories, we look at these heroes of faith and we put them super high on our scale. We're like, these are some of the best people who have ever walked this earth. Their faith was strong and because of this they were able to serve God and bless the whole world. But the truth is this, we have heroes of faith right here in this church. We have heroes of faith in your families. We have heroes of faith in this world, in these past generations. We can probably all think of somebody in our lives that have reached a level in their life where they are just so full of peace. They're so full of faith that they just know that God can take them anytime and they know exactly where they are going. We can probably all think of somebody in our lives and we look at them and we say, man, that is a faithful person. I want to live my life like them. I want to reach a level of peace and understanding that they have reached in their lives. 
So why don't we seek wisdom from these people? Why don't we look to the past generations, read their reviews on life so that we can figure out how to be better? Why don't we do that? Why don't we seek mentorship from the past generations who have literally already went through our stages of life? They've already been there. There's a reason why in the Holy Bible that the authors use these past generations, these past examples of faith for us to be able to learn how to live our lives because we're supposed to look to them. We're supposed to look at the older generation so that we can learn how we are supposed to live our lives as a younger generation. You know, although this author of Hebrews uses all these examples of all these awesome things that these men in the faith did, these men and women, that they did, they they used all this faith, they were super faithful people, you know, it doesn't really say a negative thing about these people. But if we look at the Bible as a whole, we look at these people, we learn a little bit more about them. We learn a little bit more about these heroes of the faith. You all remember Noah? The man that had faith in God, so much faith that he ended up saving his family and became an heir of righteousness. When we look at Genesis 9.18, it's described that he struggled with drunkenness. Remember Abraham, the man who by faith had his descendants blessed for generations. And through those generations, we ended up getting Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross for all of our sins. In Genesis chapter 12, 10 through 20, we see that Abraham lied twice about who he was and who his wife was. And because of this, he allowed his wife to go into another man's house. Abraham was a liar. He struggled with lying. This great man. And we look one more time. Do you remember Moses who left his life of royalty? He was a prince. He was a prince. He had everything he could ever want. He left his life of royalty in order to listen to God and free his people. We see in his story that he disobeyed God. He spoke to his people with bitterness and anger, and he even ended up murdering somebody. He even murdered. You see, I don't say all these things. You know, you might be sitting there right now thinking, like, what is he saying about the past generations? Why would he bring all this up? I'm not sitting here saying that the past generations, I'm not trying to fuel this to say we're better. Look at these past generations. They struggled with so much things. But we look and we see in Hebrews chapter 11, we see that we can learn from these people because of their great faith that they have experienced. And we can look at people at this church and see their great faith, their great peace that they have now achieved in their life. But how did they get it? How did they get there? They went through trial and error in the same stages of life that we are in currently to achieve what they have achieved. You see, sin hasn't changed. Sin has always been here, okay? 
The older generations, the people older than us, still struggled with lust. They still struggled with lying. They still struggled with all of these things, gossip, whatever it is. They have struggled and been through the same things that we have been through. They have been through the same temptations, the same sin, and the same sadness, and can offer us wisdom on how to get through it. Could you imagine in your life if you were going through something really sad? You were going through death. You were going through loss. You were going through depression. You were going through mental illness. You were going through addiction. And you were like, man, I wish I could read a review on how to get through that. You can. And it's real life. And it's people in these past generations that have literally already went through our stages of life. You know, I am an optimist, and I like to look at the good things in life, and I like to have hope in everybody. And I have hope, and I believe that the older generation does not want to see the younger generation struggle in the same ways that they did. They don't want to see you be in the same sadness, the same pain, the same struggling that they went through. They don't want you to go through the same thing. They want to offer us advice. They want to show us how they went through these things. How through trial and error they have been able to reach a point in their life where they feel so much peace. And where they have achieved this faithful, faithful life through this trial and error. I believe and I have hope that the older generation wants to see the younger generation succeed. So why as a younger generation are we not turning to these people? Why aren't we turning to the older generation for mentorship, for advice? Why aren't we doing that? Because as a church, you know, you remember at the beginning of this sermon, you know, I made the joke about Steve and I said, we're going to figure out who the best generation truly is. But as a church, as a country, as a world... If we are all asking, what has been the best generation? If my generation, us younger people, are sitting there saying, we're the best. We get to experience everything. There's nothing that we can learn. We're going to change the world. Everything in the past has been a mistake. If the older generation is looking down and they're like, man, I've lost hope on that generation. Look how they play on their phone all the time. Look how they struggle with this. We never did that. If we're all sitting in here asking, what is the best generation, we have already failed. We are already doomed from the beginning. Because as a full church, we should be uniting younger generation, older generation together. Not saying, what is the best generation, but instead saying, how can we make the next generation the best generation? How can we all work together? How can the younger generation learn from the older generation? How can we turn to the older generation and say, hey, I know you struggled with this. I know you went through this once upon a time. Can you help me with that? Or, hey, I see you struggling in this way. When I was your age, I went through the same thing. If we did that as a congregation, we would be unstoppable. We would be unstoppable. Stoppable. We need to work as a team for the better of the future. Amen? Amen. 
So I have a couple of challenges this morning that I just want to leave you with, leave us with as a church. And the first challenge is for all you young people, okay? I don't know what you want to put in the category of young, okay? I'm not going to do that, okay? But if you think you're young, you probably are. You probably are, but some people might think that they're young and they're not. <laughs> Seek wisdom. Seek understanding and mentorship from those that are older than you. Be opening to listening. Be open to listening to these people. Be open to listening to the older generations. You don't have to figure out everything on your own. If you're going through something, maybe try to find somebody who's been through the very same things. Try to ask somebody what their life was like when they were in the same stage of life as you. See what wisdom that they can offer you. Because it's insanity to go through the same things over and over and over and over and over again. To keep messing up in the same ways. If the older generation messed up in the same ways as the younger generation, that just continued to be insanity. Okay? They've already been through what you've been through. Turn to this older generation. Okay? They've already experienced your season of life. And next, if you're older, okay, can you handle taking a little bit of a challenge from a younger man? If you are older, all that I ask, I'm begging. I'm begging for the sake of my generation. I'm begging for the sake of the youth group. Uh, I'm the youth minister here. Is this. Don't give up on the younger generation. Don't give up on us. Don't turn a blind eye. Don't say, hey, they're done. They're doomed. They're doomed. They are without hope. There's nothing that we can do for them. Do not lose hope. Because I believe that this younger generation has the capability of changing the world. Okay? And if we gear up this younger generation, they will be able to be better examples for the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. I don't think this world is doomed. Okay? I think that there is hope. If you are older, please don't give up on the young, younger generation. As a whole church, let's pledge together that we are all going to work together, younger and older, to make sure that these next generations are the best generations. Thank you so much. And if you need anything, uh, there's going to be ministers and elders here. And if you need anything, you can come to them um, as we stand and as we sing our final song.